I think about the profile of a champion, so one, there is influence. They're able to help develop or shape the opinions of others. There's also incentive. They have, there's something in it for them, right? There's a personal connection to that deal. And then information, you know, they actually can help you navigate through the sales cycle. So you have to have all three of those things present to be a champion. But if you just have, let's call it influence, and you have information, but you have no personal incentive, you're an influencer. And if you have a particularly loud voice, you know, let's say, you know, in the language of, I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram, the personality test. Yeah, so if you're an eight, right, you live off of challenging and making others think a little differently. It may be true, and that could be something as a sales rep you want to pay attention to because this is somebody who is very likely to be influencing and swaying the whole buying committee in one direction, being very active. But if they don't have a personal you know, incentive or tie to the deal like a champion would, you know, that's a, that's a great way to have a deal go off the rails pretty quickly. Hi friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Nate Nesrella. Nate is the founder of Fluent, spelled F-L-U-I-N-T. And in our conversation today, Nate and I talk about what, what motivated him to start Fluent which is a system designed to help B2B sellers to effectively enable their internal champions on a sales opportunity. Fluent addresses an age-old challenge in complex B2B sales, which is the need to develop one or more internal champions who can effectively tell your story to other stakeholders and decision makers. And that's what Nate has set out to accomplish with Fluent, a system that can help you create internal champions at their prospects or at your prospects who know how to communicate your value when you're not around. It's a need that arguably has become even more critical with the expansion of virtual selling. We dig into some of the key use cases Nate envisions for Fluent and how Fluent enables sellers to work more collaboratively with buyers to help them achieve the outcomes that are important to them. We get into all of this and much, much more, but before we get to Nate, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And also want to remind you, check out my latest book, Sell Without Selling Out. It's a modern human-centric framework for learning how to increase your win rates and shorten the decision cycles of your buyers without using the salesy behaviors that your buyers really hate. It's available everywhere you shop for books, online, and in stores. All right, let's jump into it with Nate. Nate, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Andy. Glad to be here. Yeah, well, glad you came. We Before we start recording, we had this really long conversation about fun stuff. So, um <laughs> running and bicycling and, and so on. Um, all right, well, tell us a bit about you. Well, um, I guess I'll start by saying I, uh, I would consider myself a builder. Like I, I love anything that I get to create and bring to life out of nothing. And mm -hmm. it's actually kind of how I stumbled my way into sales. I didn't start off thinking I would go into sales, but I, I remember as a kid, like I would make my mom the chef. Who does? <laughs> oh yeah. Well, it's, you know, and then you kind of realize, um, I had to sell anytime I wanted something to use whatever it was building. Like if I, uh, my first business was a little restaurant in my kitchen and my mom was the chef and I had to sell her on the job opportunity. I was mm -hmm. recruiting talent to my team, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so when I got into uh, kind of my first startup experience, co-founding a company, I realized pretty quickly, like this product stuff is fun and I love building it. But the thing is, if nobody comes to use the product, you don't get revenue and then you can't build anymore. So exactly. you got to figure out how to sell pretty quickly. And that's, right. that's kind of how I, I got my start. Got it. So what was that first experience? 
So that uh, first company was called DonorPath. It was built for small nonprofits and it helped them raise money to fund their programs. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we would match them with a fundraising coach, visualize their donor data, and they could build a plan on how to raise money more effectively. Um, And it was a very, very interesting way to get into sales because the thing about selling to nonprofits, first, a lot of people kind of think like, you know, nonprofit, no profit, but over 400 billion dollars with a B is given to nonprofits every year. So yeah. It's a, yeah. It's, it's a big market, you know, right. especially in the U.S. kind of social sector. But the funny thing is about nonprofits is that most times a buying decision is made in a board meeting for any type of significant purchase as mm-hmm. opposed to by the staff. And so as a sales rep, you're never really in the room when the conversations about your product and your value are happening. And so I had to figure out like, okay, this is, this is very interesting because the person I'm talking with can't actually sign this contract. How do I help them sell with me? Mm-hmm. And that kind of was a very formative dive into, into selling for me. Yeah, well, I would, I would make the case and have made the case that mm-hmm. in the overwhelming majority of B2B sales situations, the seller is never in the room when the decision's made. Uh, yeah, it's one of my enduring frustrations with this fixation we hear in the software world about hiring closers. It's like, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, why? Why are you doing that? Why don't you hire a salesperson, mm-hmm. right? Because you're not going to be in the room. This is not car sales. This is not insurance sales. You're not going to be in the room when they make the decision. I, I agree. And the way I think about it is sales reps don't close deals. Buyers do. You can get a deal done without a sales rep. You cannot ever get a deal done without a buyer in place. <laughs> that's, that's a great way of phrasing it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that. Well, and also to a point that I've, I've asked several sales leaders this question over the years. is like, okay, you've gotten this job description that you want to hire a closer. Have you asked your buyer what they want this person to be? <laughs> what, what do they... You know, if they want to talk to your seller, what do they need your seller to do for them? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's just reinforcing this posture of I'm here to sell to you. We're on opposite sides of the table. Yep. I have an agenda, and that's going to be front and center in our relationship. Whereas, like, I think the most effective sellers, they're actually selling with the buyer. They're never selling to that buyer. Absolutely. Sounds like you've read my book. I have, and I, I enjoyed it. Um, I think the four pillars are spot on and hold very true to my experience. <laughs> Well, thank you. But yeah, it's this idea. It's, you know, when you're putting your agenda ahead of that of the buyer, you're selling out. Mm-hmm. That's just, yeah, it's all plain and simple. That's just what it is. So yeah, I agree. Even, even I would say from the start, you're not listening to understand. You're listening to say, okay, when can I talk and pitch? Yes. And I don't really, and I don't really care to understand because mm. I'm selling a hammer and you're a nail. And, uh, it doesn't matter what, what your problem is because I've got one solution. That's what I'm going to sell you. Well said. So, all right. Well, let's talk about Fluent. This is uh, your latest company. Tell us about that and what you do. Yeah. So um, Fluent was a company that I founded out of this whole idea that sales reps don't close deals. Buyers do. Mm-hmm. And where it came from is when I would look at all of the make or break moments that would define the outcome of a deal... Again, it was back to this idea we were never in the room for it. If you look at the person who was shaping or controlling the message in that moment, it was typically the champion. So the one person on the buying team who was going back and, you know, it was always in their own words that they would be describing not only the product, but it was always, you know, the problem that they wanted to solve. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, their team has certain goals and they talk to each other in a certain language. And it always worked way better when we could speak their language. We were fluent in how they thought about their problems and what was actually important. And then second, we could help them understand and then articulate our product's value to the rest of their team to get them engaged. And then back to the table with the sales rep to say, hey, this is really interesting. And well, and, and importantly is be able mm-hmm. to, the goal is have them articulate it in your language as opposed to their interpretation of it. That's right. That's right. I mean, you, if you are speaking two separate languages in any place in life, you go to a different country, it's going to be very hard to navigate, to build relationships, do anything when you're speaking different languages. So that's kind of where the, the name of the company came from. Yeah. Fluent with an I. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so tell us what it does. Yeah. So if you look at the typical kind of tech stack, generally there's this gap between conversation intelligence. So I have this call, it's recording, hearing everything that my buyer is saying, mm-hmm. and then enablement. There's this content system where marketing designs all of these beautiful decks and product information. And if you look at what the most effective reps are doing, they're playing back those recordings. They're downloading some type of PowerPoint native file out of their content system. And then they're updating and adjusting it to match what their buyer told them hey, this is what's most important to you. See Mm -hmm. that I understood that. And then I'm going to send this to you by email so that this can hopefully guide that internal conversation that you're going to have. Right. And most reps don't do that because it takes a lot of time and it sucks. It's, It's just a very manual process. Yeah. So what the product does at Fluent is it converts a conversation. So it writes out word for word what a buyer is saying in a meeting, allows the sales rep to grab certain highlights, key phrases, points about the problem that they're making, and then they can drag and drop that into a workspace that has the business case. So the business case or the material that you're actually sending to the buyer, it's all written in their language, their words. And then of course you can align different designs of your product in there and then have your buyer jump in so that you are building, shaping that together throughout the sales cycle. Um, and so that's fluent in a nutshell. And are you integrating with conversational intelligence platforms? We are. So our, our first go-to-market, what we're actually doing is working through the hardware as opposed to the software. Because what we found is that a lot of sales reps would say, okay, in follow-up meetings, my buyer will send me a Teams link, even though we are typically in Zoom. And so then I, I lose the ability to capture that. So that's kind of our first path. And then second, once our product is in market, we're integrating directly into different CI tech products. Huh. So when you say hardware, meaning what specifically are you selling then? The, the sound card, basically. So sound, Fluent, okay. it operates in the web browser, but then just like we are talking today through Riverside, that's a mm-hmm. web browser based, but it picks up our audio and the same type process. Got it. Got it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I can see the, the value in being able to facilitate this process of being able to speak back to the buyer in their language and put their business case, put the business case in their language. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the first piece. And the second thing is honestly, Andy, the very first version of this was Google Docs, where we were trying to just, you know, very manually test this process and say like, do buyers like this? Like, will will they resonate with the message and will they help participate and be a part of the process of developing this message with us? Mm Mm-hmm. And so that was part of the goal is to say, can we have the champion working with sharing questions, comments, feedback, bringing the different buying team into one shared space where like you're not in a silo from the sales rep, but the sales rep and the champion are selling as a team in that everybody's on the same page very literally, 
a Google Doc was kind of how we tested that. Um, and so that's the second piece, staying with the champion and in enabling them throughout the rest of the cycle. Right, through the shared workspace. So it's, it seems like to some degree this is sort of like an evolution. Yeah, we go back five, ten years ago, there were a number of companies that were creating sort of like buyer portals, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it seems like this is sort of an evolution from that. Yeah, deal rooms. They go by kind right. of a lot of uh, different names. It yeah. kind of like Dropbox for sales, I guess is the way that I would think about it. And, you know, what was really interesting about building the product was that a lot of our research was talking with buyers, not just sales reps, because they're a user of the platform as sure. well. Sure. And they would talk about this idea of the treasure hunt. And what buyers were saying is basically, so I, you know, I get access to this deal room or this stack of content. And then I have to hunt through and pick right. out the two sentences here or there that are relevant. And this was the most fascinating piece. They would grab all of those different snippets, put it into their own internal internal format. You know, they have a structure for their mm -hmm. narrative, their branding, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. pass it around. And so they were just kind of Frankensteining, you know, these materials outside right. of what the sales rep could see. And of course, that was only when you had a committed buyer who would actually spend the time to do that. Right. So... From the buyer's side, there's a buying committee, let's say, of mm -hmm. a number of people, one of whom is, is, let's say, the primary champion. So who, do they all have access and all work within the shared workspace, or is it sort of defaulted to the champion? So at first, it's the champion. And typically, that's because they'll want to take a look at the message, um, weigh in, share some feedback. And when it looks good to them, then the champion can invite and add on their side different members of the buying circle or the buying committee. Mm -hmm. Interesting to find out from your perspective is is, is how you know, within a group of people, and there was uh, you know, Steve Martin from USC had written a paper about this, is that you know within buying committees there are dominant personalities that emerge that have outsized influence on on decisions. Are those oftentimes the champion or are those sometimes different people than the champion? Yeah, good question. So when I think about the profile of a champion, so one, there is influence. They're able to help develop or shape the opinions of others. Mm -hmm. There's also incentive. They have, there's something in it for them, right? There's a personal connection to that deal. And then information, you know, they actually can help you navigate through the sales cycle. So you mm -hmm. have to have all three of those things present to be a champion, but... If you just have, let's call it influence, and you have information, but you have no personal incentive, you're an influencer. And if you have a particularly loud voice, you know, let's say, you know, in the language of, I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram, the personality yeah. test. Yeah. So if you're an eight, right, you live off of challenging and making others think a little differently. It may be true. And that could be something as a sales rep you want to pay attention to, because this is somebody who is very likely to be influencing and swaying the whole buying committee in one direction, being very active. But if they don't have a personal, you know, incentive or tie to the deal like a champion would, you know, that's a that's a great way to have a deal go off the rails pretty quickly. Oh yeah. Well, especially if you're not aware of who that person is. Uh, yeah. They're hanging out I mean, in the shadows. Especially if you think, right. Especially if you think it's just about the champion and not about this influencer. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, very interesting. Um well, I think I love this concept because I remember talking to somebody, um, you can hear dogs barking in the background, sorry, but um, <laughs> is, is um, I forget who it was I was talking to, this is sort of early in the pandemic, and they're saying, well, 
you know, here's one of the problems we have with all these virtual meetings as it used to be when you would meet in person with a the buyer, there'd be, you know, three, four or five people in the room, you'd leave, they'd all stay and talk to each other. Mm -hmm. But in Zoom, they're all in different locations, they all hang up and they don't talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And so you sort of miss this opportunity to, on the buyer side, to sort of socialize what you just told them. Yeah. I, and it seems like this is an interesting tool to be able to have that take place, right? Because they're building their own narrative based on what they heard from you and you want that to take place. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, that's exactly right. And you, you want it to be a narrative that aligns with what that, let's say it's an executive who's hanging out in the shadows. They haven't been a part of those sales discussions. Right. You know, they have their own view of problems, priority their own agenda that they're talking to the board, to other executives about. Mm -hmm. And the more that that narrative in the buying team aligns with what that executive is already thinking and saying, hey, this is important to me, the better you'll do. But it's just a very hard thing if you haven't been thinking about crafting a narrative in that way. You've only been perhaps focused on the day-to-day -day user, let's say, in the process. Yeah, so as a seller using your tool, how do you have visibility into what all of the stakeholders are sort of, you know, how they're interacting with this narrative or with the champion and so on. Is this, you know, their analytics within the workspace? Yeah. Or is it just like the champion has access to the workspace and they talk to the others or do you see everybody in the buying circle or buying committee come into the workspace? Yeah. Well, what I'll say and just preface this with is no software can replace just good sales acumen and practices. Of course. And so at, you know, at the end of the day, you need to do a good job of staying curious and trying to ask questions to uncover and figure out like, what don't I know that I should know that could influence the outcome of this deal, right? And no, no, no software is going to be able to tell you which member of the buying committee isn't in the discussions when they should be. Mm -hmm. So that said, um, at a functional level, what the software does do is it sends the sales rep an alert anytime a particular member of the buying committee is either viewing, commenting, weighing in, sharing feedback, um, so that you can see an example of this in like the manual kind of Google Docs testing is, um, I noticed that somebody on the buying team who I hadn't heard of um, before popped up and made a comment in the doc. And so I went on LinkedIn and looked up their name. And I was like, oh, interesting, head of information security. And I realized, oh, uh, me and my champion, Christina, we hadn't talked about that before. Mm -hmm. So I could drop Christina a note and say, hey, by the way, you know, here are some points, anything that you think they'll be, you know, curious about, most likely happy to add some more info there. Um, and so, you know, just on a functional level, one, one example. Now, is that message going through Fluent or is that just through normal messaging channels? So in that particular example, that was my like manual testing in Google Docs before we mm -hmm. had the software developed. Um, now it can go and should go through Fluent so that everybody can see it. And in this case, it went back into the Google Doc so that that head of InfoSec um, could see it, could read it, share other questions. Got it, got it. So how does that, from a seller's perspective, is then, because one of the, I think the downfalls of some of these early generation, you know, buyer portals and so on is adoption and usage on the mm -hmm. part of the buyer. So how do you get the buyers enrolled? You know, how should a seller, one of your customers, get the buyer enrolled in using Fluent. Yeah. So when I think about our own customer success um, program, it's helping the sales rep drive adoption by the buyer because that's the key mm -hmm. thing is you need the buyer, yep. to your point, engaging. 
And so what that looks like is very early on in discovery, mentioning, hey, I'm going to put together a recap based on what I'm hearing. And I would love for you to take a look at that. Um, share comments. Let me know if I've maybe mischaracterized anything so that we can keep building that out. And so just continuing to reinforce, like, this is your space that I'm setting up. You own it. It's actually in their brand, not the seller's brand, which a lot of people kind of raise an eyebrow of like, oh, my marketing team is not going to like this if I'm putting their brand in this workspace. But it's this idea of, hey, this is for you, buyer. You own this space. We can post whatever types of questions we want. It's going to be your feedback that we're going in here, and I'm building this for you and continuing well, to share that throughout the, the process. Well, it seems like one of the power, based if I understand correctly what you said before in terms of being able to transcribe you know, the, the customer's words and put that into the material. So it's, mm -hmm. it's really, from a seller's standpoint, as much as possible, you want to be putting forth your case using the customer's words. That's right. You know, I mean, that's, this is, this is something that I think is, is one of the compelling features I like about this is, you know, oftentimes the perspective sellers don't have is like, all right, now there's a way we can use technology to say, look, we're not just regurgitating back to you what you said, but we are, you know, creating this narrative based on your words and your understanding of this mm -hmm. to help reinforce the message we're putting forth. That's right. I, um, so a point on that, I, I wrote this post recently called um, The Inner Life of the Enterprise. And for anybody trying to do large deals, it's sometimes it's very hard to empathize with and understand the reality of a buyer in, inside of a very large organization. Mm -hmm. And the point that was kind of, call it, upvoted the most that people resonated with was this practice of languaging and how enterprise employees internalize this art of, if I have a request and I want it to be approved, I'm going to make sure to use the same types of things that my exec or my VP is using in the team calls and the team updates, how right. we're talking about our OKRs or whatever the goals are sure. to increase the probability that they respond favorably and give me approval on this. Mirroring basically to some degree. Yeah. yeah. There yeah. you go. Spot on. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, why not? I mean, it makes it, if you're, if you're being asked to consider making a decision that, on a change that could have an impact on the organization, you personally, and so on. If you're looking at it in a way that sounds like it's coming from you, mm -hmm. yeah, it seems like that'd be a little more influential. Yeah, influential. And to, to the point that you make in your book, when you think about a connection, you know, people want to feel, oh, well, and actually it's the other pillar as well, understanding, like people want to mm -hmm. feel like, oh, they get me. Like every mm -hmm. time I talk with, Andy, he just seems to like know me. Yeah. And when you use the language, it's like reflecting back. Like, yeah, I, I, I get it. Like, I understand you, Andy. Yeah, very cool. So how are you guys uh, marketing and selling the product? So we are launching the product in the end of June. Um, so pretty excited to get the, the product into a wider group um, of people's hands. It's been a lot of Excellent. testing and development. Yeah, so um, right now it's just been writing. I. Uh, Personally, I, I've loved to, I've written a couple books and just had fun more like memoir genre um, style. And so Wait, you did what? So what are your memoirs about your, your life in sales or about your life in general? No, just kind of my, my life in general. Honestly, how this, how this came about is so at a time when my first company was being acquired, my wife and I were getting married. We were moving across the country. I was living out of Airbnbs. Honestly, I should have been in therapy. I was too proud to admit that. And so I turned to <laughs> writing as yeah. my outlet and right. it was a 
great way to reflect on what was happening inside me, what I had been learning along the way. And so what started as a journal became a book, became a second book. It was more like memoir where basically I use stories from my life to talk about all the times I screwed up massively and learned something from mm -hmm. it. And so all of this, to get back to your question around how are we marketing, I just had a ton of fun writing and yeah. using that process of writing to communicate what I've learned about sales, put it into content, give it out and share it with sellers. And that's how everybody's been finding us. Yeah. So you've got a book on buyer enablement, right? An ebook. Uh, that's right. It's called the Enterprise Sales Playbook. Got it. So tell us a little bit about that. So the, the Enterprise Sales Book is basically like a download of my brain over the last decade and everything that I've developed and come to see as the job of a seller, which is to enable their buyer to move from mm -hmm. some type of problem that they're struggling with to the payoff that matters to them. And so all the way from how do you think about your job description, your mindset, all the way down to kind of the brass tacks of putting together a mutual action plan and closing, kind of everything in between laid out in one, one ebook. Excellent. So if people want to get that, where would they go? So they could check out, um, if you go to our blog, so fluent with an I dot IO slash blog, it's the first thing there. You can click into it. Don't even need an email. Just go ahead and read and uh, have at it. And do you have like, cause this is going to come out probably before your official launch. So if people want to learn more, I mean, is there like a wait list or uh, to get access to the product, what should they do? Yeah. So if anybody wants to um, test the product before the official launch, they can uh, um, either email me directly, just nate at fluent.io, or um, go through the website, um, click a time to see the product, show it to you. And if it looks interesting and you want to help test it out, then we'll get you on there. Perfect. I may do that. It sounds yeah, please. Yeah, love yeah, yeah. All right. And if people want to connect with you personally, how can they do that? Uh, LinkedIn um, is, is the best way. So Nate Nasrallah on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, I've uh, been um, just impressed by all the people that I've gotten to meet on LinkedIn. So it's, um, I, w I would love to connect with anybody that's interested. Perfect. All right. Well, Nate, well, thank you so much. Likewise, Andy, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, we'll have you back after you launch and you've got some customer experiences under your belt because I want to learn more. Sounds great. I'll look forward to it. All right. Thanks. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Nate Nasrallah, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, I want to thank you for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.